Welcome to another episode of the Double Comma Club with your host, Nicole Ruth of the Ruth Team, the number one lending team in Colorado. So the question keeps coming up about affordability. And I even got a question from Lisa, thank you, about debt to income ratio. So how is these rising interest rates and rising home prices affecting your ability to get a loan approved. I mean, that's what I want to talk about today. I was listening to the news this morning and they were talking about peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. And I could not have been more hopeful about that. But we still have rising inflation. We still have supply chain deficits. We still have the Fed coming in and raising the Fed rate. Those things are going to impact our home prices and our interest rates. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. I want to talk a little bit about interest rates as they pertain to HELOCs. And then I want to talk about how do I calculate a debt to income ratio. Really important because if you're out looking for a home and you've been out looking for a home for the last year, well, I'm sorry, because I know how devastating it can be trying to get something under contract today when your mindset is where you were a year ago with home prices up 21% and interest rates now almost near 5%. What you can afford and that monthly payment has changed. That's why the debt to income ratio calculation is so imperative. But I want to talk really quickly about the Fed rate and the rising interest rates that we're expecting and the two and 10 year inversion as we get tighter and tighter and tighter, right? So the Fed is raising the Fed rate. They've got six more meetings through the end of the year. And they're talking about for the next seven meetings. So into next year, they're going to be raising the Fed rate a quarter at each meeting. And at one of those, it's probable that they're going to raise the Fed rate 0.5%. Well, Chase and Bank of America both came out with their predictions, as have others, saying that they're expecting that 50 BIP increase to happen more often than just once, maybe two or five times as many. So if that happens, the Fed rate is going to continue to go up, which is impacting the short-term rate. That Fed rate impacts the prime rate. Why am I talking about that? Because that's what the HELOCs are based on. So if the prime rate is going up because the Fed rate is going up, remember the Fed rate doesn't impact the 30-year fixed as much as inflation does. It affects short-term rates. So if we actually see the Fed rate go up to 2% at the end of this year and 3% at the end of next year, a 3% Fed rate equates to approximately a 6% prime rate. And that 6% prime rate is what you're going to be paying on that HELOC, that home equity line of credit money next year. That can really hurt your debt to income ratio. It can hurt your budget. It can hurt your ability to afford other properties or other debts or simply the manner in which you live in your lifestyle. So refinancing to pull cash out now at a mid-force rate, being able to take some of that money and reinvest it in other real estate, which is the best hedge against inflation, is a conversation you should be having with your loan officer, hopefully me, right? Now, before interest rates continue to go up, because they will continue to go up until eventually we slow down the economy and we see interest rates go down, which could be at the tail end of this year, more likely next year. So let's talk about 
the debt to income ratio. We've got these conversations happening. Interest rates are rising. Uh, I just did a um, video that's going to be released tomorrow on this idea of going into a housing bubble. My prediction is that we're going to continue to have appreciation continue to increase just at a slower pace, right? So we're not going to see 21% year over year, I hope, because, inter well, we won't, because interest rates are going up. We've got a little bit more inventory, 4% more inventory nationwide. The DMAR market trends report, the data comes out at the end of this week. The report comes out on Tuesday of next week. We'll be talking a little bit about that on the live next week. We'll have recorded the video pushing that out, talking about what did the DMAR 11 county area see in an increase in supply. We're starting to feel just a little bit more. I mean, nationwide, they only saw 4% more. So when I'm seeing, this is a number that just came out yesterday for the last week over week, when I'm seeing 4% and the Denver market we already know is crunched for inventory, we're probably not gonna see that much, but even if we do, it's certainly not gonna even put a dent on the inventory we need that's going to relax appreciation dramatically. But it's gonna inch down, right? It's gonna inch down as mortgage purchase applications were down 8%. But what does that mean? Week over week on the worst interest rate spike week like that I've ever seen, that's acceptable. But what we're seeing is a continued demand. So if home prices are expected to continue to go up, if interest rates are expected to continue to go up, your eligibility to purchase a home using a mortgage is going to go down. That's how that works, right? So if I look at a debt to income ratio, I'm looking at the house payment and the rest of the debts. That's why I wanna talk about this today because it's becoming imperative that you're able to pencil and paper your own numbers before you go out looking at homes on a pre-approval letter you got two months ago. Don't do it. Every buyer right now and every real estate agent that wa that's watching this should be double checking with their lender going into every weekend, do I need a new pre-approval lender letter? Have my purchase price ranges tightened? This isn't a parent of question because the worst thing you want to do is fall in love with that house that you can no longer afford. So I want to use the example that I used this past Friday. Peter and I did a ad hoc live at 10 a.m. this past Friday, and we were showing the example of what one year can do, but how rising wages helped offset some of that debt to income ratio. Now, I'm not going to talk about uh, rising wages today. The Denver market saw an increase year over year 5.8%. That is fantastic. And it helps offset some of those rising prices and it helps alleviate some of that debt to income ratio crunch. But I don't wanna get into those numbers. I just simply wanna show you how the debts that you're holding and the income you have affects your ability to purchase that home. And then what you can do about it, because that's the key. Because you're gonna, a lot of people need to do something about it. Not everybody. Some people have 10%, 15%, 20% debt to income ratios, super low, tons of wiggle room. Other people are out shopping for homes that have 48 to 50% debt to income ratios. They have no wiggle room. And when that purchase price goes up, they're done. So what does that mean, right? So debt to income ratio. Let's first talk about how it's calculated. A debt to income ratio is your monthly income into your monthly debts. So your monthly debts divided into your monthly income. So if I have 
$2,500 in monthly debts, and I'm gonna define both of these, and I divide it into $5,000 of monthly income, then that's a 50% debt to income ratio, okay? So let's talk about those debts. What defines debts? So it's not your cell phone, it's not your electric bill, right? It's not even, well, it's your rent, if you're gonna keep that rental and then purchase another home. But if you're gonna leave that rental and go buy your first home, it's not your rent. So it's those debts that will continue beyond the purchase that have a monthly debt calculated and noted on your credit report. That's a big deal, right, to know that. So people ask me, you know, is my electric bill or my, I have these debts, these bills? I'm like, no, those don't count. Let's pull up your credit report. And you can pull up your own credit report at annualcreditreport.com. It's free. It won't show you a score, but it'll give you all of your debts. That'll be a good starting point for your monthly debts. So I have $5,000 in credit card debt, but I have a $250 a month minimum payment. I have a uh, $15,000 car that has a $5,000 monthly payment on my credit report, but I pay $750. So do you count the $750? No, I count the $500. That amount that's on your credit report. You have student loans. Student loans are in deferment. People think, well, can I count zero? Well, no, I'd like to, right? But I can count the payment if you have an IBR, an income-based repayment plan. If that IBR is zero, then I can use zero. But if the IBR is 200, I'm gonna use 200. If you don't have an IBR in place and you have $100,000 in student loan debt, depending on the program, if it's currently in deferment, because a lot of student loans are, then I'm gonna use 0.5% of that 100 grand or 1% of that 100 grand, depending on the loan program. Again, really important to be talking to your lender, i.e. me, right? in which program you're using so that you know how to calculate that. If you have an IBR, an income-based repayment plan, we can use that payment. If you're a physician, we can exclude those payments. Again, it all depends on the program. So I'm gonna take the monthly debts that are on your credit report. Now let's talk about your income. So I'm gonna be looking at your gross income on a monthly basis if you're a wage employee or if you're a W-2 employee, or I'm gonna be looking at your net income divided by 12 if you're self-employed. And maybe you're self-employed, but you pay yourself W-2. I get that all the time too. Well, I pay myself W-2, can I use my W-2 income? No, yes, but we're gonna roll it in with your K-1 income or your net business income, and all of that together is considered your self-employed income. So I am gonna use that, but I'm gonna put that together with the rest of your self-employed income, okay? So I've got debts and I've got income. So I wanna use the example that I used last Friday. So what if I'm buying, or a year ago, I was looking to purchase that $600,000 home, putting, um, I have a $480,000 loan amount, putting 20% down, used an interest rate of 3.75, and that monthly PI was 2122, 2,122. Compared to today, a year later, that home has appreciated to 720,000 with 20% down, that loan amount is 576 at a four and a half, okay? That monthly P&I, principal and interest is 2919. 
So let's just start out with that first number. Last year, I was looking at a $600,000 loan. That principal and interest was $21,22. Let's assume a blanket $500 for escrows, which is taxes and insurance. If that $21,22 plus the $500, if that's what I could afford, depending on what my debt to income ratio is, it might or might not allow me to purchase that $720,000 home today, which is the same home as the $600,000 one last year. So this is why debt to income ratio is so imperative in what you can afford. Because if that $600,000 at 3.375 was at the top of my range a year ago, and home prices have gone up, and that same home that I waited on is now $700 at a higher interest rate of four and a half, I can't afford it anymore. So now I'm sliding backwards to what a $600,000 home would be today, or maybe even less with the higher interest rates, that really was a $500,000 home last year. So knowing your debt to income ratio and how much wiggle room you have is going to allow you success when you go out shopping for a home. So let's look at these numbers quickly. So if I have a 2,122 principal and interest, right? And then on top of that, I have escrows, taxes and insurance, $500. Maybe I have some credit card debt. That's $125 monthly payment on my credit report. I also bought a new car. Here's a hint. The house cares about the car. The car does not care about the house. Buy the house first and the car second. When you go shopping for a car, they're not going to ask you. They're going to look at your credit report and your credit score. They're not going to add up your debts to your income. They're going to look, can you afford this car on a regular basis based on your income, based on your credit score? They're not going to calculate all that up. Super important. The car does not care about the house. The house cares about the car. Put them in the right order. So I just went out and bought a new car a couple months ago, $500 a month. All right. $125 for credit cards, $21.22 for principal and interest, $500 for escrow, $500 for that new car I'm pulling up in the, in the driveway, and a $1,000 IBR payment for my student loans. Or whether or not it's an IBR, it doesn't matter. $1,000 monthly payment for my student loans. All of that together is $4,247. So let's just round up to $4,250, right? Double that. My income needs to be a minimum of $8,500 a month to qualify at a 50% debt to income ratio. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stop at 50. Most jumbo lenders stop at 50. FHA will go to 55. There's a few jumbo lenders, one jumbo lender in particular, a few that will go up as high as 55. A lot of other things involved in that. VA will go up to, I've seen it as high as 62, 63. It's a little bit crazy, a little scary, but VA, phenomenal opportunity. A lot of listing agents think, well, I don't want a VA loan because of the appraisal. Most appraisals are coming out the same. Maybe a few more things, habitability issues. You know if your house is habitable, right? But that VA is one of the most flexible loans. If you have any hiccups at all, if you have a low credit score, a high debt to income ratio, you're still going to get approved. In fact, it's one of the best loans out there for a guarantee you're getting to the closing table. So all of that to say, I need a minimum of $8,500 with my current debts to get to a 50% debt to income ratio. But that's no longer the case because today, today that $600,000 home is costing 720. So now my principal and interest 
at the 720 purchase price, 20% down at four and a half instead of 3.375, that principal and interest is now 2919. 2919 plus the $500 for uh, escrows, plus the $500 for car, plus the $1,000 for student loans, plus 125 for credit card debt is way over 4,500. And I no longer qualify unless I got a, a beautiful raise, right? So now I can back into it. So this is where you can pencil and paper math this. So if I know that I have an $8,500 monthly income, that allows me 4250 approximately in debts. And I know I really want that home that I sat on the sideline a year too long and it's $720,000 right now at four and a half. Then that means that 2919 principal and interest plus 500 right, is a big chunk of my income. So start with the income. This is how you can figure out how much you can afford. Start with the income, the 8,500 and divide it in half, 4,250. Then subtract the 2,919 for the principal and interest and then subtract the $500. Those two together are 3,419. So from the 4,250, that leaves me with $831. All it's doing is telling me is how much other debt can I have? I can't afford the student loan debt with a $1,000 month payment, the $500 uh, car bill, and the $125 credit cards. Can I pay things off? Can I get that student loan into an IBR? Start working on that. Yes, you can, depending on your income. If you can get that on an income-based repayment plan and drop that monthly payment, if we can refinance that car into somebody who's not on the loan, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, Right? If you can refinance the car or sell the car, maybe you can pay off the credit cards. Maybe you can even boost your credit score and get a lower interest rate. These are the things that we're talking to all of our clients about. How do we optimize that debt to income ratio given the program that you're on? Because if you're on a jumbo or conventional, you're probably under 50%. Some jumbo loans, full doc, make you stop at 43%. If you're a first time home buyer with a jumbo, there could be overlays with that. So knowing what program that you're heading towards, which one is best for you, knowing what your debt to income ratio limits are, will allow you to make decisions on getting that new car, paying off the credit card debt, or getting an income-based repayment plan on that student loan, increasing your credit score, allowing you to be able to afford more, right? All of those conversations. Now let's back into, I can't. I can't, I can't manipulate that debt to income ratio anymore. I've done, I paid off the things, the car is for four more years, there's nobody that I can refinance it to, and my student loan payments are not going away. Then I can't afford the $720,000 home today based on the interest rates, but I can still afford the $600,000 home with 20% down. I could choose to put a little bit more down and go a little higher, but if 20% is all I have, Here's what I want to tell you. It's all about options. So this is the strategy where we talk about this might not be your forever home. This might be the home that gets you off the rent train and into building your own equity. Today, we have almost 70% equity throughout the United States, including more than a third of all homes are paid in full. With that kind of equity build, with home prices going up 21% over the last year, with the low inventory and with the strong millennial demand, we are still gonna see home prices go up. 
get into the home prices going up train, not the rent going up by 15.5% over the last year train, right? It's costing you more along with the cost of everything else, which is keeping you from inability to save. So when you get into your own home and you're building up that equity, you're also able to spend a little time with a lower monthly payment, maybe paying off some debt, maybe building up your credit score, maybe saving up some money, maybe getting a raise, all of those things, putting you in a position and then taking the equity from the current house and going to afford that next home. And if it were my brothers, and if you had the ability, I'd not have you go buy that perfect home, but another opportunity for rental and another opportunity for a rental. A couple of rentals can make or break an incredible retirement. It's all about options. Well, if you have not figured out what your box is, your limits, and or how do you push those limits using the strategies, looking at rental opportunities, we need to sit down and talk. We need to have those conversations with your real estate agent and with each other. I'd love to do it. We'd love to go to work for you. Hope you guys are having a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Double Comma Club. Never miss an episode. Subscribe at thedoublecommaclub.com to hear more success stories and to get free tips on how you can get on the path to becoming a millionaire through real estate at any age. Remember, visit thedoublecommaclub.com and subscribe.